Well, I'm so excited to preach the Word of God to you today. This is the final sermon I will be preaching for the next month and a half as eight years into this church together, coming up on eight years. Uh, I'll be taking my first sabbatical starting tomorrow. I'm nervous. Um, I'm, I'm excited and nervous and scared all at the same time. Resting and allowing God to just speak to me without saying anything doesn't come natural to me. And so I, I really want to ask you to be praying over the next six, seven weeks as I'm gone. I'll be back to preach the Sunday after Father's Day. And we're not like disappearing. We'll still be here. So like if you see us in a grocery store, don't run in the opposite direction. Be like, no, not till after Father's Day. Like, please, still, still, we can still be friends and we can still do life together. We'll be, we'll be taking some trips. But the main purpose of this season is the renewal of my soul and spirit through the word of God. I didn't really recognize how drawing from your inner life to constantly project and produce content can be soul depleting. And so the reason why we're doing this, because I've, I've heard the comments, and I know that they're all joking, but it's like, I wish my job would give me six, seven weeks off. And I'm like, I just, I feel the need to say the reason why our elders and the reason why I have said yes to doing this is because I do not want to flake out on you guys at 34, 35 years old. And I... I, thank you, because I'm serious about it. And you read a new story about someone who did every other week. And I'm not like, I, I love y'all too much to not take the necessary steps to make sure that doesn't happen. But also, I have to have something to say when I get in front of you. And in the first six weeks of our church, I said everything I knew. And I was like, oh, no, we got to keep going. That was everything I had to say. And so I want to have an inner life that I can draw from to be able to go, this isn't like me just trying to pump you up on a Sunday. This is coming from an inner connection to God that's actually real. And, and so I'm going to get alone with God. And I just want to speak out my gratitude for our church for being willing to go through a season like this and encourage you, whether you're here in Auburn or you're going to be far away, do not spend the next month and a half disengaging from our church. If we learned anything last week as Gage Henry brought the word of God, it's that this church will be just fine, whoever is bringing the word. What a sermon, bro. Jeez. I'm sitting there in Birmingham going, I can go ahead and retire. This is, uh, this is amazing. Retired at 33. This is, uh, this is excellent. Um, no, thank you for, for being open with this season. And, and obviously, our, our team is ready to roll. This is a season of a, a lot of travel and a lot of people in different spaces. So we feel like it's the right time to do it. But I'll, I'll be tracking every step of the way with the word of God preached here. Hope you'll be praying for us as well. I'm so pumped to preach today, though. What a series. I mean, we started a series last week called Here I Am, and the purpose is to look at the six moments in the scriptures where a human being responded to the call of God by saying, here I am. And that's what these symbols mean. Last week, we talked about Abraham being called to sacrifice the promised son, Isaac, and the ram in the thicket was available for sacrifice at the very moment Abraham raised his arms to sacrifice his son. Such a powerful availability to God. God, here I am. Even if you call me to do the opposite of the thing you promised to me, I trust you that you're capable and able to keep your promise, even if what you call me to do looks like I'm moving in the opposite direction. And each symbol that you see 
is symbolic of a particular story where a human being said, here I am to God. We're going to hit the burning bush next week. You've got Isaiah and the burning coals, and we'll talk about the pyramids of Egypt that we're going to be hitting on today. But I, I just want this series to capture your attention because this is an incredible picture of the pivotal moments in redemptive history and how God does a new thing and includes our availability. Like God could write this story with or without us. But isn't it interesting that the six moments in the scripture where a human being says, here I am, God does a new thing. And I don't mean like a small new thing. I'm talking like we got Abraham, the father of our faith. Today we're talking about Jacob who gets renamed Israel. Next week you got Moses at the burning bush leading the people of God out of captivity. You got Samuel who said, here I am, who eventually anoints David the greatest king in Israel's history in the Old Testament. You got Isaiah who says, here I am, who prophesies about the Messiah. And you got Ananias who says, here I am, and converts Saul to Paul. These are massive moments in the story of what God is doing. And every single one that we look at, here's what we want to do. We want to get laser focused on what would it look like for our voices to join theirs and say, here I am. God, total availability. I'm here for you. Are you all pumped about this series? Are you ready to hear from the word of God? If you have your Bible at all of our locations and in the lobby, hold it up. Hold it up. As we're doing that, if you are in... I don't know. Did we fit everybody in here? We might have. I was about to do a shout from the lobby. Shout if you're out there. But if you're not, I think we got everybody here. We got everybody here. Thanks, Brittany. Turn. Y'all look around. Look at this. This is so awesome. This is, if you ask me, what will you miss the most about being here? This site every single Sunday. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 46. Genesis chapter 46. It's really not fair that we're jumping in at the end of Jacob's life because he has had an eventful life up to this point. I'm going to get back into telling that story later on in this sermon. But to just begin, we're going to read the first seven verses in Genesis 46 where Jacob, who's been renamed Israel, he's over 100 years old, is called to make the journey from his homeland of Canaan, the land that has been promised to his family, to his grandfather Abraham, and go to Egypt where he has heard his long lost son, Joseph, has become second in command to Pharaoh. Genesis chapter 46, verse 1. If you're there, say I'm there. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. So there's Isaac, the son of promise from last week. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba. And Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport them. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. Straight out of that passage, I want to title this sermon, Do Not Be Afraid to Go. Do not be afraid to go. Look at somebody next to you. Tell them, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Be confident. Let's go. Today's sermon is heavily aimed at people who are in a season of transition. 
from one norm to a new normal, from one way of life to a brand new way of life. You know transition. Transition is the space between the way things were and the way things will be. It's when you can't go back to the way it was, but you're not fully there at the way it will be, and you're just kind of stuck in the in-between. And I realize not everyone is in a season of transition right now, but life is so loaded with changes. I believe today's sermon, even if it's just one you bank for a future season, will actually encourage you. If you're in that space where life has changed, where a relationship has ended, where you've been called to a new city, where you've been called to a new job, where you've been called to a new school, where God is clearly doing a new thing and you feel that tug of, I don't like giving up the way things were, and I don't know what things are going to look like moving forward. I'm in the in-between, and God says to Jacob, and he says to me, and he says to you today, do not be afraid to go. The tough thing about transition is that sometimes it can be equally as exciting as it is painful. It's like there's so much anticipation and expectation for what's next, but there's also so much mourning and grieving of what you're leaving behind. I saw a picture this week that made me bawl my eyes out just seeing the sight. My five-year-old daughter graduates preschool this week, and I saw this picture and just lost my mind. <laughs> How? How are we here? How, any other parents who, like, kids just graduated, you're like, how does this happen? Like, I, you were just born yesterday. And here we are on Thursday, we're celebrating preschool graduation. And the thing with it is it hurts so bad, but it's right. It's like, yep, you're going to kindergarten next year with a lot of kids who I don't know their parents. And <laughs> I, uh, I will have a lot to say to our principal who actually goes to our church. So that's convenient. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm like, I'm like, it's right. It's good, but it doesn't make it easy. And I know there's a lot of graduates going through transition. I'm experiencing it personally, but there's even families in our church who are called into what's next. And it is exciting, but it hurts bad. One of those is the Willing family. Will and Caitlin Willing and all their boys and one girl. And they have been a part of our church for years, impacted hundreds of college students. They literally came to me. And said, we feel called to ACC because God has put a burden on our life to invest into the lives of college students. And, and they said, the great thing is, we, we're not coming to ACC because we love your preaching or we love the music. We're coming because we're called. Which means we're not going to leave when we disagree with something that gets said or something we need clarity on. I love that. I love when people are not here to get their preferences met, but here to serve. They're actually on the front row. Will y'all stand up just so we can honor you guys right now? Um, love y'all. Hey, I know we're honoring a lot of people today, but it is right that as y'all step into a new season out in Arizona, ACC Scottsdale coming soon, um, man, it hurts, but it's so right. Y'all are stepping into what God has for your family, and that door opened because of a new job, but you look at it and you go, hold on, hold on, You're, God's doing so much good in this season I, I don't know how to fully let go and say yes to what's next because I don't know what that looks like. And I know they're sitting in it right now. There's people in our church who, after they leave this gathering, are moving away. Many of you have never met Parker and Freddie Amos, but they've been a part of our church almost from the very beginning. 
they met when Freddie was in LDP. Shout out to our LDP program doing such a good job of doing multiple things at once. God moving. But they're like, they're leaving this gathering to go get in a U-Haul and drive to Louisiana where they've been called next. And, and I, I, seeing them, and, and I, I would feel bad if I didn't do it because I just did it for the willings. They're on the second row, so y'all can stand up as well. Um, we're just honoring so many people today. I love y'all. And listen, there, there's so many other pictures that we could put on the screen, but the way you two have loved and served and planted in this house has been something that we want to see 10 times over. We're excited for your new season, but I'm like mourning as Freddie is a counselor going out to work in ministry in Louisiana, and Parker is a man's man going to work for Duck Commander, Buck Commander, and it's awesome. <laughs> Y'all can have a seat. But I'm like, I'm looking around at this weekend and, and thinking about all these different transitions and then reading this story about Jacob, and I'm going, it is it's so painful, but it's also so much expectation for God. I have no idea what you're going to do next, and I don't really know how to navigate how disoriented my emotions are right now. Transition is hard. Do you know in the stages of childbirth, the most painful stage is called transition? Now, I didn't know that until baby three because we had Mercy Jane in less than an hour of arriving at the hospital, and we get there, and I'm like trying to convince the nurses, like, this is really happening right now. I've never seen my wife like this. Like, this is not something where we can wait and fill out all the paperwork, and that's what they're trying to do. And I'm like, respect your job, but like, get us someone right now. And I see a nurse, Godsend, because she delivered Elliot. I see her in the hallway, and I'm like, hey, Courtney is like, we're there. And um, she's like, and then Courtney screamed. Uh, it, it was something I don't want to remember. And, um, <laughs> and the nurse, I remember she said, she said, it's okay. You're in transition. You're in transition. And in my head, I was like, I'm doing a sermon about that soon. That's going to apply really well. And so I did some research on it, and it said, this is, the, this is the phase of labor where women are most likely to shout the words, I can't do this. Most likely to go, I'm out. I, I, I cannot move forward any longer. And sometimes the moments of transition between where you were and where you will be feel exactly like that. But for way too many of us, when we hit a season of change, when we get to a space of uncertainty, when we're in transition, our temptation is to do one of two things. Fight the change by keeping as many things normal and controllable as possible or blindly accept the change and pretend like everything's going to be okay and I'll just ignore my emotions. And neither one of those things are healthy. And neither one of those things let the voice of God come and speak to you. So I want to encourage you today. When you're in a season of transition or if you're in one right now, it's not, no, I'll just try to control all that I can and stay in relationships I shouldn't stay in and believe in denial about all that's changing around me. But I'm also not just going to run full speed into the next season without fully processing all that God is doing in a given moment. And you can't see it when you just read Genesis 46 on its own. But when you look at the life of Jacob, here's what you need to understand. He is leaving everything he knows about his life at home and he's stopping to have a moment with God at Beersheba Beersheba that's desert south of Jerusalem south of the land of Canaan on the way to Egypt you cannot make this up it's the same place where God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac exact same and in this space where 
He's about to jump in fully to what's next. He's got to take a moment to offer sacrifices and go before the Lord to hear the voice of God. And here's the thing. Transition, I believe, is the ultimate opportunity for God to turn the volume up on his voice and the pressure up on his presence. You will experience the voice and the presence of God more in seasons where you're giving up what was and you're moving on to what's next than I believe in any other season. I've wanted in seasons of comfort to hear from God so bad that I've like scourged through scriptures and just covered my mind with the word of God and listened to songs. But there's something about comfort and something about safety that God's close and his spirit's in you. And you can pray and you can fast and you can lean in for more of God. And, 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 and it's like I'm hearing him, but then I go through a transition. I go through a major change. And there's something about just being in it where it's like volume up. There's God. And so I just don't want you to wish away the very season that God could be using to define everything about what he's building in your life moving forward. That's what this moment was like for Jacob. And, and to really see how beautiful this moment is, you have to understand his full story. It's not even fair that I told you to turn to Genesis 46 and read about Jacob's transition from Canaan to Egypt because this guy has a story. In fact, if you're here and, and you just want to be comforted by the fact that God uses imperfect people who have things in their past that they wish were different, you should read about Jacob. This guy is complicated. This guy is crazy. His name literally means deceiver. When he was born, he was a twin. Scripture says he was holding his, other bro his older brother's heel as they came out of the womb. You want to talk about a painful labor, okay? He's holding his brother's heel. And as he was born, he was named Jacob, supplanter, heel grabber, deceiver. And pretty much for the majority of his life, that's what he does. He's manipulative. He's self-seeking. His brother was hungry one day, and he said, I've got some stew for you if you'll sell me your birthright. Firstborn gets right to the inheritance and the family name, and everything about the legacy of God's chosen family is set to go to Esau. Sells it to his brother for a bowl of stew. But what was his brother doing? Being that manipulative. And then later... He tricks his father, Isaac, when his father is blind, into blessing him as the firstborn son instead of Esau. Scripture says Esau was a man who liked to hunt. He was super hairy. That's what his name means, man's man. Jacob is the Bible's ultimate version of a mama's boy. It's so fitting that I would be preaching on him on Mother's Day. It says Esau liked to be out and hunt wild game. But Jacob liked to stay among the tents. And I was like, I like Jacob. That's my speed right there. And then the very next verse says, Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Rebekah helps Jacob trick her own husband into blessing Jacob as the firstborn. Now, there was a promise over Jacob's life before he was even born that the older will serve the younger. This is God's sovereign plan and human choice all coming together in this, in this crazy story. But from this moment, Jacob's life is all transitions and all difficulty from here. He leaves home, runs away to go live with his uncle Laban. On the way there, he has a dream at a place called Bethel. You ever heard of Jacob's ladder or stairway to heaven? That's where that dream happens. And God tells him, you're the one I choose. I'm with you. 
wait a minute, God's choosing deceiver who all he does is manipulate and trick people? Uh Uh-huh. And you too. And God tells him, I'm going to be with you like I was with your father and his father, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. He goes to live with his uncle Laban, negotiates to marry one of his daughters. At the wedding, Jacob gets so drunk that he accidentally takes the wrong sister as his wife, gets tricked by his uncle, but he sticks around long enough to marry the other sister as well, literal sister wives in the Bible. Mary's two said, and don't ask me like how that works itself out culturally. That's another sermon that Gage will handle during my sabbatical. But um, he's married to Rachel and Leah. Eventually he has a dream. It's the first time he says, here I am to God, where he gets called to leave Uncle Laban's house and go back to the land of Canaan. But on his way back, he's set to be reunited with his older brother, who the last time they talked, his older brother wanted to kill him and could because he was a man who hunted and Jacob stayed among the tents. And so... The night before, Jacob gets separated from his family, and that's the night he wrestles with God all night long. Says he wrestled with an angel. We we don't know, is this Jesus or is this just an angel? We know that the next morning, Jacob's hip is punctured, but he doesn't let go. And he says, I will not let go until you bless me. And the angel says, what is your name? He says, Jacob, deceiver, supplanter, heel grabber. I'm the faker. I'm the manipulator. I'm the trickster. I'm I'm." I'm Jacob. And the angel says, your name is Israel. Israel means triumphant with God. God gives him a new identity. For the rest of his life, he'll walk with a limp from that encounter. But he will transition into what's next and reconcile with his older brother and raise his 12 sons to be the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, you know, that's not the end of the story because there's favoritism. Jacob's favorite son, Joseph, gets a coat of many colors but eventually gets sold into slavery by his brothers. They bring that coat back to Jacob, and they say, your son who you love is dead. Look at all this blood. They rub the blood of an animal all over it. And then believing his favored son has been killed and gone forever, Jacob is growing into becoming an old man only to receive the news. Joseph is still alive. He's in Egypt, and he's telling us, that there's going to be a famine that's going to last for a long time. And if we don't go down to Egypt, we're going to starve out here. God is preserving a remnant for the people of God. We got to go. And then Jacob has a choice. Do I stay in what I know or do I go to meet my long lost son? Now he's over a hundred years old, everything that's familiar to him. And now I want us to read Genesis 46 verses one through four again. Listen to this y'all. It says this. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Feels a little more weighty now that you know his story. See, through the transitions and changes of life, God is working. 
But I believe when you're in a season where everything's uncertain and everything's changing, it's an opportunity for God to show you more of himself. And so when he reaches Beersheba, what does he do? He offers a sacrifice. This is kind of the final moment of if you're going to go, you're going to go from here. Or if you're going to return home, you're returning home from here. This is the place of no return. And what does God do? Well, two times in the passage, he's called Israel, but God calls him Jacob twice. I read a sermon on this passage from Charles Spurgeon, credible, Spur, uh, inc- incredible Spurgeon, incredible pastor in the United Kingdom for many decades, and he said it is so intentional that God reaches back to his old name in this moment. It's an acknowledgement that Jacob is feeling and acting like Jacob. He's scared. He's wondering, is there any way I can manipulate this? Is there any way I can control this? Is, is, do I really need to pick up and leave everything about what I thought and go. And do you want to know why God says, do not be afraid? Because Jacob's afraid. You want to know why the scriptures say, fear not, 365 plus times in the Bible? Because God knows that we're scared. And the reason why Jacob is scared is rightful. It's because the promise over his family was, you're going to live in a specific plot of land where you will have descendants that will become a nation to bless all nations all over the world. He knows the promise. Now, this is very early. He's just the grandson of Father Abraham, but he knows we have a promise over our family. It's not that we're going to live in Egypt. It's that we're going to live here and spread out and become a nation. So with every step Jacob takes toward Egypt, he's taking a step, or at least he thinks, away from God's promise. Do not miss what I'm about to say. Look up here. If I lost you in any of the details about Jacob's crazy life, you do not need to miss this. He knows we're promised a specific plot of land and we're promised a lot of children that will become a nation. How is me leaving that plot of land and going to a brand new nation going to accomplish any of that? And that's why God drops this line on him. I will go down to Egypt with you. You got to see this. Of all the promises God made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, there was one promise that mattered more than all the others. More than it matters that God's going to give them the land of Canaan, what we now call Israel today. More than it matters that God was going to give them descendants greater than the stars in the sky and this grains of sand on the seashore. More than those promises matter, the promise that mattered the most was that the presence of God would be with them. Here's what you need to know. I know you're scared. I'm going with you. And when you know God is with you, even when it feels like you're losing space between your life and the promises of God, God has the capacity to keep you in his story and in his love. You might want to write this down. Here's the whole sermon in one sentence. True peace comes from trusting the promise of God's presence more than knowing the details of God's plan. True peace comes from trusting the promise of God's presence more than knowing the details of God's plan. I don't know how we're going to go to Egypt and this is all going to work itself out for us to become a nation in the land of Canaan. This feels backward. This feels so upside down of what I thought my story was going to be. Don't you feel like that 
When you go through a breakup, don't you feel like that when you lose a job? Don't you feel like that when God brings you to a dead end in life or you're living in a city but you want to be living in a different city and you're going, I don't know how this fits into your story. I'm telling you, peace does not come from reading into God's plan for your life and going, oh, okay, it all works out in the end. Peace comes from knowing in that moment and in every moment that God is with you. So you might be reading this and go, well, I'm not Jacob. I don't have God meeting with me in my dreams to tell me he's with me. You're right. You're not Jacob. You're a New Testament believer in Jesus who is called what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. You have the power and the presence of God living on the inside of you wherever you go. And there is never a time in your life where the promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you, will expire on your life. Man, that's the story of the Bible. I don't know why, but this morning I woke up and I read Joshua 1. And I, I couldn't believe my eyes because I was going to quote the Great Commission to, to you guys in this moment of the sermon where Jesus says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm with you to the end of the age. But I read Joshua 1 because that's the original passage I read to start our church. And God said to Joshua, I will be with you the way I was with Moses. And then he drops, never will I leave you nor forsake you. The reason why you do not be afraid to go is because you're not going alone. And if you let the gravity of the one who's with you and in you, and in you overrule all the outcomes that you're projecting and all the questions that you have, it doesn't make the pain go away. It doesn't make all the fear subside. But God in this moment is going, Jacob, I know you're scared, but you don't need to be. I'm with you and in you. And there's a lot of people at Auburn Community Church today who are followers of Jesus, but have never truly invited the presence of God into your transitions in life. I just want to remind you, Jacob's over 100 years old in this story. As best I can tell, no one in this room is over 100. My man Slayton's 96, he's getting there. God's not done with your story. I, I want you to learn to do what Jacob did and let God in on the changes that make no sense. I got two points for how to do that. They're straight from Genesis 46. Number one is this. Process your fear with God. Process your fear with God. So when Jacob gets word that Joseph is not only still alive, but running the show in Egypt, he has two choices. Number one, he can let fear of the unknown overrule the possibility of what God might be doing in a new season and go, no, I'm the father of this family. God has promised us this land. We're staying here. I got my seat by my fireplace that I occupy. I mean, this is... We read too much in the story of, of the Bible. We read this story and we think it's a 35-year-old man who's in good shape, ready for a journey. This guy's over 100. You're going to move from your whole, not just you, you, your grandchildren, about to be their children. I mean, it, this is a huge decision. And he could very easily go, I, I will see Joseph in the next life. But we're staying here. But he could also go to Egypt and pretend he's okay. 
He doesn't have to stop at Beersheba. There's no rule written. There's not even a law at this time. There's no like God going, hey, you should really stop every few miles of your journey and have a worship service just to check the box that you fulfilled your religious obligation. He does not have to stop. He can just go and the whole time be freaking out, go and pretend like it's normal, pretend like it's normal. You're going to see your son. He can push through. That's what most of us do with transitions. We either try to control and manipulate and keep everything the same, or we go and we just pretend like it's all right. Don't do either of those things. Tell God how scared you are. Get moments alone with God to mark off certain seasons and go, God, I am freaking out right now. And I've got to call on your name and tell you, this is what I'm scared of. And this is what I'm tempted to believe. Some of you don't have a real relationship with God because you've never invited the spirit of God into those moments in your life. And it's such a tragedy because if you would, in those seasons, man, it does not take much. I'm saying, I got to make this one so clear. I'm saying, don't listen to this sermon and then go to lunch today and go, that was a great sermon. What did you think about the sermon? That was a great sermon. I'm saying, don't leave here and compliment my sermon. Leave here and get alone with the journal. Get alone with God and pray. Process all that's happened in your life. Part of what I'm so excited about for the next month and a half is to actually look back at the last eight years and go, what just happened? You wonder why we're so emotionally unhealthy? It's because we don't process real emotion over time in our relationship with God. And Jacob, in this moment, he's offering a sacrifice to God because he's scared and he's going, the God who I met at Bethel, the God who spoke to me and told me to leave Uncle Laban's house, the God who changed my name from Jacob to Israel, I, I need to meet with him now. Here's the good news. Because of what Jesus has done, you don't have to build a fire and offer a sacrifice to have that conversation. You just get to remember the blood of Jesus, bow your head and say, God, here I am. What are we doing? How are we wasting so many opportunities to invite the God of the universe into our space and go, God, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm okay, but I'm not okay. And I need you to meet me here. And when I think back on, on my journey, at the moments where God spoke to me the loudest, it was always in seasons of transition where I created space like this. And if you, if you were to ask me, what are 10 things that you know God has undoubtedly communicated to you? Like, you, you have no doubt that it was God, because you've seen over time how the scriptures and the Holy Spirit of God confirm something over time. Seven, eight of them? probably come from the same season or similar seasons where I can automatically go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I was praying about this, and then God gave me peace by communicating this through his word. I'll never forget it. And for me personally, the story that he has used the most, this is just like God, the story he has used the most to communicate with me through transition is the story of the life of Jacob. The week before Courtney and I packed a U-Haul to move here, I listened to a sermon on the life of Jacob where I was just struggling with the whole idea of like lies in my head going, you're 25 years old. You have no business moving to a city where you know a couple of people to start a church. And you know what's true about you in your own sin patterns and in your own life. You think you're going to go be a pastor and preacher I was in London, England with my head against the window of a coach bus with headphones in my ears listening to a preacher say, 
that God is not ashamed to be identified in the scriptures as the God of Jacob. He is not ashamed to be identified with your story. He'll use you. And I'm telling you today from the life of Jacob, if you'll create that space and invite God in and tell God that you're scared, tell God that you don't know how it's all going to work out, I'm telling you, he's going to meet you there and speak things that you need to write down and hold on to for dear life. That's number one, process your fear with God. Number two, access your faith in God. True intimacy with God happens more than any other time in the mystery of God. It takes mystery for faith to be active. But faith is not the absence of certainty. It's the presence of certainty about what is mysterious. Gage's sermon last week was a game changer. I, I, like, I can't get over this. The fact that he got up here and said, hey, we're equating faith with not seeing, and it's wrong. And I'm going, I thought it was we walk by faith, not by sight. Do I let this guy preach again? Like, what is he talking about? And Gage is like, no, it is assurance about what is unseen. It, I'm absolutely sure about what I don't have sensory discernment of yet. So real faith is not, I don't see it, but I, I just, I, I know God's going to work it out. No, it's a real thing that exists about what is unseen. And so to gain access to true faith in God requires a step called worship. It's not enough to just process your fear in your one-on-one -on -one time with God. You got to stir up your faith in God once again. Part of that is being willing to sing. Part of that is getting a, a time of personal worship where you stir up your affection for God. You don't wake up in the morning tired from little sleep and tired from everything you were doing the day before going, I fully trust in God and my heart's just in a good place. No, you got to stir up your affection and your faith over time so that what? So that God can remind you of who you are. What does God tell Jacob right here? Does he say, Jacob, listen, here's the plan. It's crazy. You're going to go, you're going to meet Joseph, it's awesome, and you guys are going to be blessed. You're going to live in the land of Goshen, but then Jacob's going to die, and the Pharaoh's not going to, he's not going to really like our people because we're having babies like crazy. He's going to enslave us, and actually for 400 years, your descendants are going to become slaves that just keep having babies until this guy named Moses rises up, and oh, that's next week, and oh man, Moses, he's going to be awesome, and then he doesn't, he doesn't go, here's the plan, calm down. He just says his name. Jacob, Jacob. And immediately hearing that voice say that name, Jacob is reminded, he changed my name. You stir up your affection for God. The main reminder you're going to get is not assurance about every little step of the journey. No, it's a lamp for your feet, a light for your path. You wanna know what that lamp usually is? The affirmation of your identity in Christ. You are still my child. You are still in the family of God. You still have the Holy Spirit. You still have a future. God with us. And so I know it's uncomfortable, but we're going to have a time in this room right now to stir up our affection for God. And I just want to ask you, no matter how long you've been in church or how weird our expression of doing church is to your faith background, can you just let your guard down a little bit and allow your heart to personally connect 
with the God of the universe from wherever you are in your story. Already, I can sense God's greatest reminder to me going into this summer being about identity. I, I love doing this. I love preaching to you guys. But there's no greater peace in the world than knowing this is not who I am. This is what I do. But who I am alone before God, if I get sure about who that is, I can do whatever God calls me to do because identity precedes activity. And if you know who you are in Christ, regardless of what you're called to do or where you're called to go, if you believe and you stir up in your heart more than anything, I know my God is for me. I know he's with me. It's gonna be a hard road. It's gonna be a difficult road. In fact, the son of God promises trouble. This is not a guarantee that everything's gonna be comfortable, but it is a guarantee that you're making it to the other side and that God will be glorified. Would you stand to your feet all over this space? Band's gonna come up here. And we're gonna sing a song that we used to sing a lot. We haven't in a long time. And I felt like today was the moment to bring it back because it was a song that was on my lips through seasons of transition and I hope it's one that sets you up to let God speak to you in the unknown. It's called Oceans. And it's about the invitation to go out with Jesus on the water. Would you bow your head all over this face? If you're here today and you go, Miles, I'm in that season of transition. I'm scared, but I want you to pray for me as you offer up this prayer to God. I'm not, there's nothing special in raising your hand, but if that's you, I just wanna know how many people are in that season right now. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I'm in transition, I want prayer. It's bold faith. Heavenly Father, you see these hands. More than that, you know these hearts. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would cover our church family, as so many transitions are happening, as so many people are being sent, some of them sent to the ends of the earth to carry the gospel. God, would you remind them more than any other promise that affects them, you are with them, you are in them by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, if anyone in this room today has never said yes to the gospel, the good news that Jesus died to save sinners, that he's risen from the dead and his life can live in us. I pray that they would just pray this simple prayer right now. Jesus, I give you my life. I wanna be in your family. Thank you for dying to save me. God, you are more than enough. We love you. We give you this time. We sing to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.